Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sunjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is Taking Charge as Women in Technology. So we know that whether it is about industry-relevant skill building, or trying to handle and tackle unconscious bias, or to even build confidence and executive presence. Women in technology have had and reported multiple challenges, which they say have held them back from enjoying a rewarding career and even a healthy work-life balance. There has a lot of discussion. There has been a lot of discussion about this in a lot of forums, and there have been discussions, but then we see this problem truly not going away for decades now. So what new, more or different are we supposed to do or are we are doing at present to tackle this so that women in technology blossom to the fullest extent and deliver the most value for the business that they are with and also do justice to their own life and career? With that said, I have with me uh, to discuss this very important subject, Sue Robinson. Sue is the Chief Information Officer, Head of IT Europe and Asia PAC at Aspen Insurance Group. Hey, Sue, how are you? Hi, Sanjot. I'm fine. Thank you very much. And yourself? Very good. Thank you. Cannot be better. It's interesting times, but that calls for interesting measures, right? That's what we will do here. So we'll have a very good discussion. Now, now that topic that we spoke about, taking charge as women in technology. So let's set the stage. Let's talk about what is the current state of women in technology as you see it. And then also perhaps shed some light on what do you see as the gaps between what's expected from and for women in technology and what's the reality? Okay. Yeah, not a problem. So from my point of view, I'm still seeing, uh, I've been in IT for over 25 years and I am still seeing a significant gap. It has got better, um, but certainly, you know, I still work in a very male-dominated environment. Um, and certainly, you know, through my career where I am now and the age that I am, um, that's where I definitely see uh, women in the technology stack um, disappearing. Um, you know, there is still a, a lot that we need to do. And if you think about, um, you know, some of the statistics that are out there, um, you know, women in technology, really in the last decade, the numbers haven't massively improved. Um, and, and therefore, we really have to look at why haven't they improved? Because organizations have still um, taken, I think, the necessary steps to try and bridge the gap. Um, and there's been a lot of focus on um, the um, STEM disciplines, trying to bring, um, you know, the introduction of that um, into um, the, the, the younger uh, women forefront. But I still think that from my point of view, I'm not seeing enough female IT technologists um, on the floor, and I'm certainly not seeing them in leadership roles. So... If you were to look at the whole women in technology landscape, one is to say there is a gap, and that gap could be a woman who wants to join technology and has been in the professional field, whichever other field, and they want to move into technology, it looks like an uphill battle. Or if, if mm -hmm. there are girls who are you know, growing up, they are not showing interest in technology as much. So what it does is it creates a vacuum at the very hopper level, if you will, right? Where the, there is an entrance possible for women. Then there is a second set of challenges people at least have shared is that it becomes tougher for a woman who enters technology at whatever level to progress from there because of multiple reasons. We'll dig deeper into the multiple reasons, but we do see that's happening. How much of this observation that I or we have had as a media outlet syncs up with what you've seen? Uh, I would say um, 100%, uh, most definitely. Um, you know, 
My own personal experience is I have a daughter who's now 18, you know, when she was at school and I'm obviously talking about um, education from a UK standpoint. Um, But, you know, she was given the opportunity from a GCSE point of view to do um, um, ICT, so information technology or computer science. Um, Now, for me, working in IT, I was hoping that she was going to choose the computer science route. She chose the ITC, which the reasons that she did that was because she said it was easier um, and she wasn't really interested in programming. And I tried to explain to her, well, look at your mother's career. Look at where I've come from. I didn't have a computer science degree. I didn't originally, when I was your age, think I was going to go into technology. But look at what I've been able to achieve and, um, you know, the different facets of the technology landscape that I, again, in my career, have been able to be involved in. Is it not something that you can look at it outside of the traditional, I've got to be a programmer if I go into technology and think about it in the other different facets? Now, unfortunately, I lost my battle with her. Um, she continued to go down the ICT route, um, but she thoroughly enjoyed it. She uh, gained a lot of experience from it, and she's now at university and creating Excel spreadsheets with her um, daily meal planner. So, you know, for the, for the little amount that I was able to do, um, at least she's come out with something. Um, but I think that's one of the challenges is really showing to these young females that there's so many different facets of IT that you can go into um, and that really, you know, you can achieve whatever you want to. Again, from a career point of view, I didn't think I was going to go into IT. Um, I was very lucky um, in terms of how I moved from an admin position into a technology position and then you know how I've managed to progress from a career point of view and that's what I really think we have to try and do is is show these women out there these young girls um, that there's just so many opportunities within the technology landscape um, and you can really make it your own place. Now one example I'd, I'd uh, I was discussing it in a group of women and men. They say whenever we talk about a technology position or the role, we talk about phrases like ninja warrior in technology. That doesn't sit very well with a woman or a girl. Or we talk about the pure technical aspects. Whereas if you look at the way technology is morphing, you got to be able to do more front-facing with the business leaders and other constituents to make things happen, which means relationship building, and that comes naturally to women. How come we are not portraying those, as you rightly said, different facets? One is to tell them there are so many facets. Another is to essentially showcase and expose these Facets which are a natural fit, so it creates an inbound or a pull effect. What's holding us back from yeah. being able to do that? Well, again, it's interesting that you raised that. Um, I was at the Gartner IT Symposium um, last week and obviously went to a couple of different sessions where uh, we're talking about diversity, inclusion, uh, unconscious bias, um, and, you know, There's a lot of different areas uh, that you have to really try and think about in terms of how you can change that. And it's not just about having a women in tech forum. It's about making sure that everybody um, is included um, in the uh, discussions and that you get sponsors throughout the organization, male and female, um, through the executive level all the way down. Um, and, and through that, those elements, I think that's where we can make those changes. Also, companies have a, a huge amount um, that they can influence um, how, again, we can change the landscape of the percentages of uh, male and female. But it, uh, it's really about including everybody in the process of um, facilitating that diversity um, uh, across that landscape and making sure that, you know, we try and shake off that unconscious bias. Um, you know, again, from a personal experience point of view, 
I, I grew up and one of my jobs that I had before I moved into IT, I had a, a male HR director who really, you know, his view of me was that um, I wasn't somebody that should be moving into IT. I should stay within my admin remit. Now, I had a, a female um, IT technologist that came in to run a big project throughout the organization. I was working with her on a number of different things, and, and she saw the opportunity, and she actually went to him and said, no, I want this individual to work with me on the project. Now, when we completed the project afterwards, he said, well, you can go back to your old job. You, you've done what you needed to do, and that's what we need to change. We need to change that view that somebody is not capable. It's down to the individual, and you've got to really shake off this um, that nobody is capable of doing something. They should be given the opportunity. Everybody um, should be given the opportunity to excel. And we have to make sure that we've got leaders out there that embrace giving people the opportunity, embrace giving somebody a challenge, embrace helping them develop and grow. And that's the only way that we're going to hopefully, not just for women in technology, but I suppose across all of the different landscapes out there, um, provide that opportunity for everybody to succeed. Let's take a quick break, listeners. When we come back, I'll piggyback on uh, the term that you used, unconscious bias, Sue. What we have seen, and this actually is a systemic issue, like you mentioned about your HR director saying that you're not worthy of getting into IT. I've heard cases where uh, a, a woman leader sitting alongside with a male uh, subordinate, if you will, and a vendor walks in, and he only directs his questions to the male, thinking that the woman must be either a subordinate or maybe in an ancillary admin position. It is there in the ecosystem. It's there in our society. What would you think would allow us to do a better job in tackling that in the workplace? Do you think you can boil the ocean and get the whole system or the mindset of everyone involved changed? Or would you build a subculture or a subsystem within an organization where these things are neither tolerated nor encouraged? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Unconscious bias. Sue, you and I both know that exists. That exists at the personal level, professional level, you name it. And we want to get over it or tackle it in such a way so it doesn't adversely impact how a woman, in, when, it, when she enters technology, because that's the scope we're talking about, she's not hindered by this uh, stigma or this bias that exists. We can talk about the different aspects of why it exists, et cetera, but we should talk solutions. What do you think we should do in an organization where we can realistically make an impact and crack this problem? What, what, what should be those steps or what would be that playbook to tackle unconscious bias at workplace so women in technology don't have to deal with this? So I think obviously uh, every organization has got a sort of human resources, people and communications uh, area that can 
help facilitate um, how uh, employees and and how an organisation, you know, through its principles and values, raising awareness um, to its employees of, uh, you know, what we really um, stand by. It's part of, it's got to be part of your culture. Um, you know, at Aspen, you know, we do have our own set of value, values and principles. Um, you know, we've got a, a lot of focus and awareness around uh, fairness and equality. Um, we've got a specific cultural transformation work that's taking place. Um, you know, there's a, a whole facet of different areas that organisations really should have on their list of, um, you know, how they can um, extend out to the throughout the organisation. You know, what are the values? Um, what does the organisation feel about in terms of gender equality? Um, you know, what options have we got in terms of finding those rising stars? Um, you know, whether that's female talent or, or anybody else. But, you know, what's the clear path for somebody to get the next step on the ladder? Um, you know, policies are, are great to have in place, but it comes down to the actual doing. Um, and how you live that policy and how you live that culture. So I, I do think it, you know, it, it, it's very much how an organization embraces it, how an organization communicates it out to its employees, how they involve people, um, you know, and, and really, again, trying to make sure that there's not just a a common sort of every couple of months there's uh, some communication going out. It's got to be a continual thing. Um, and again, you know, leaders throughout the organization, I think, again, also have to live and breathe the culture um, and make sure that they try and follow those values and principles um, in the most fair and proper way and continue to instill that through their teams um, and uh, Again, for me, I've mentioned it before, you know, looking for opportunities for people. You really have to try and, uh, you know, we've, we've lived in a culture where um, we have job titles that are senior or junior. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that. Um, you know, yes, it displays that you've got a certain element of experience, but does it mean that you're more capable than somebody else? Uh, you might have a very talented uh, younger person in the organization that has an appetite to, you know, dip their toe in something quite challenging. Uh, you know, the millennials are, are very much more advanced in being able to really express themselves, challenge themselves, throw them into something. Um, and therefore, again, you know, as managers, as leaders, as team leads, we need to be reaching out and looking, you know, not just straight ahead, but, you know, uh, making sure we've got complete 360 of who is out there, who's potentially capable, who we can stretch. Um, and I think those are the sorts of things that will help drive out that unconscious bias. And if you've got several people displaying that, then again, it's, uh, you know, that's where other people will start to follow. So I'll share some um, anecdotes or rather examples or um, confusions that exist in this space. So I was uh, at an event facilitating a session exactly on this subject and a male raised his hand and he said, you know what, uh, ladies who were all on the panel, he asked them a question. When do you think a male demonstrates this bias? Because I don't ever remember deliberately thinking that I'm going to put someone down. But I don't know what I'm doing. But nobody comes and tells me either. So how do I go about dealing with it? Then there was another woman who said that I see that happening blatantly in front of me. But then I think, if I go fight this, is this going to go anywhere? Shall I continue to fight it or just ignore it? So if you look at the people on the ground are having issues, yes, we can do the training, but this is entrenched somewhat deeper and most of these things happen 
in a closed meeting room. Doesn't happen someone yelling or putting somebody down in public or in a public setting or in a group setting as much openly. And then you do not have in many organizations, any policy against unconscious bias demonstrated, you have it for sexual harassment. So people don't do what you expect, people do what you inspect. Why am I sharing all these points? Is because these things are happening under our noses as we speak. Till we don't explicitly take them out, address them one by one, we could turn blue training people but we would be sitting 10 years from now and still expect this discussion about unconscious bias not going away. What are your thoughts, Sue? Yeah, I mean, to a certain degree, would we ever be able to eradicate it? No, I don't think we will. But can we try and make a change to it? Yes, I, I do think so. And, and again, I don't think it's, um, you know, specifically related to... Um, uh, to gender, um, the, there's so many different facets um, of that that you can that you can really look at and think about. But if we don't do anything about it, then how can we sit here and, and say that we're trying to help and we've got to change change the balance? Um, you know, uh, as a culture, as a race, um, you know, there's always going to be elements of that that you that people will still live and, and breathe to a certain degree. Um, but I'd rather feel like I was doing something and, and, and trying to make a difference. Just like, you know, thinking about recycling at the end of the day. Um, you know, I, as a family, we recycle constantly. But you always hear, well, unless everyone does it, what's the point? You know, it's not going to make a difference. But it does. Um, it makes a small amount of difference. And if somebody's got the right voice um, and is being heard, then again, slowly um, it can trickle through. And I still think it's a worthwhile cause um, that, you know, organizations and individuals need to make sure that they keep close to them um, and think about it and focus on it and, and try not to, to fall into any, uh, in, into any traps at all. So how about we take one... Uh, subject at a time based on the long-winded question that I asked you. A, a man says, a, a young person or an elderly person whosoever is working in an organization says, I do not know when I am demonstrating this bias. What are some of the ways you think men demonstrate it without even realizing it, which they are told, if they are told, everyone is nice, nobody wants to hurt others, then they would take, uh, uh, you know, they, they will pay attention to this, at least they will catch themselves doing it and hold it back. So what would you say are some of the ways men do this? Um, I think for me, that's quite a tough one because I don't necessarily feel that I experience that on a regular basis. Um, but if I was trying to put myself in a situation um, you know, I, I think potentially it could be sort of dismissing an answer to a question, you know, before the person's actually been able to finish their viewpoint. Um, now, everybody falls, falls foul of this as well, which is cutting in on somebody. Uh, you know, when you ask a question or somebody's trying to respond and a lot of people do it, and I don't think necessarily men do it to women, I think people do it all over the place, is cutting in on somebody before they've had a chance to finish their question. That also, always, to me, um, means that the individual isn't necessarily uh, taking on point the actual answer and they're already thinking about their next question. But those are specific areas that I think potentially, if you were trying to focus on a man um, versus a, a female in the room, I think those are a key number of points. But also, um, you know, walking in there and um, I, I think we all need to be thinking about this is never judge a book by its cover. Uh, and I think, again, we're all still fall foul of that to a certain degree. You know, you'll walk into a room and if you've got 10 people there, you may have a perception of who's who. 
you know, who's the salesperson versus who's the technical person versus who's the account manager. And those are the sorts of things that we have to try and forget about. You have to take somebody on the merit of, um, you know, their um, involvement in the discussion. Um, and again, if there's multiple people around a table, just because you may not necessarily agree with what one person's viewpoint is, doesn't mean that it's not a valid viewpoint. So I haven't really, I suppose, answered your question because, again, for me, I'm not necessarily conscious of specific things that I would say I see men specifically doing to me as a female executive um, you know, when I am in a meeting room. Um, so hopefully that's just given you a little bit of an overview of how we generally, male or female, can respond um, to um, each other um, in, a, in a working environment and in a, uh, you know, a specific meeting type style environment as well. What if a woman is facing a barrage or more than occasional acts of bias from an individual or a group? Should they just ignore it, report to HR, or tackle it firsthand? In your view, what would serve her well? Well, for me, I think this has got a lot of different answers, hasn't it? Because if you think about your um, culture within the organization and uh, your principles and values, um, you know, and thinking about um, a working environment, if somebody feels that that has specifically been attributed to them, then yes, they should go through that HR process. Um, if they feel it's continually happening because, um, you know, it's going against the values and principles of an organization. But again, I think everybody will deal with the situ situation differently. Some people have the um, experience, the confident confidence to be able to tackle it straight on, take the person to the side, have a, an honest conversation with them ask them, is there something that they're not happy with? Uh, is there something that you as an individual um, have done? You know, why do they feel it's um, appropriate for them to respond or behave in that way, especially in, in front of uh, other people? So I think it really depends on the individual um, and how you are for, and what level of confidence you have. And again, I think, you know, confidence is something that not only women, but, but anybody, um, you know, has to, through their working life, has to sort of gain confidence and be able to build themselves up um, to deal with any number of different scenarios. It's so uncanny that you, you know, gave a great segue on that next question I was about to ask. We'll take a quick break. We'll be <laughs> right back, listeners. We'll talk about confidence and executive presence building. We have heard so many different flavors about where women say, you know what, some say that I lack confidence, others are very confident. Then there is an issue about executive presence. Is it more a genuine from the heart gravitas that you create or is it a facade which will get you there? There are so many myths and mysteries and uh, you know, different flavors that exist, how people get guided and coached, and that develops them into whatever they become, a leader, a follower, or somewhere in between. What should that be? What should that recipe be for a woman to be able to build her confidence and executive presence? Please stay tuned, listeners. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjoke All at CIO Talk Network. Dot com. 
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So, confidence and executive presence. We all want it. Women, of course, have always been looking for it and have been developing and showing confidence and executive presence. Where do you feel so women specifically feel that they lack for them to go strive to become more confident and build a better executive presence? Where is this? Uh, is this a self-inflicted, you know, uh, worshiping what we lack kind of an approach? Or do you think there is truly a gap? So, you know, this is quite personal to me because throughout my entire career, uh, through those end-of-year appraisals, for many, many years, I one of the bits of feedback that I got was, you lack confidence. Repeatedly, you lack confidence. You're great at your job. You're passionate at your job, but you lack confidence. Now, in every one of those roles where I had the feedback of you lack confidence, did anyone, anybody, did any company, did any department, HR department, give me any tools to help with my confidence? They didn't. And it's not really until quite recently um, and uh, the number of roles that I've had at Aspen that actually I was given some really key, genuine um, ability and and toolkit to help with my confidence. Um, Now, you know, I'm I'm an introvert, so, um, you know, confidence doesn't come easy to me in certain situations, but I live with a very extrovert husband. So in other situations, I can be quite extrovert. I've learned to be extrovert. Um, so, you know, again, I said this has got quite a personal thing for me because I spent so many years being told that I was really good, really passionate, really strong, but I lacked confidence. But I wasn't really given the opportunities to gain confidence, given the opportunities of, of, of what I could do to develop my confidence. I knew technically I was very, very confident, but when it came to certain situations, um, you know, things like doing this podcast, just I, I'd have been an absolute bag of nerves. Um, but again, as I said, Aspen has really helped me. The, the uh, leadership team that I've had, uh, they've really invested in me and, and given me a lot of different opportunities. Um, within my sort of second role um, at Aspen, my manager at the time, got me a a personal coach just to help me go through a a number of different things. But it it was more about coaching in terms of the leadership role that I had, uh, developing my team. But with that, it gave me the confidence to be able to tackle lots of different situations. And then through having that coach, um, you know, she advised me to get a number of external mentors. I did. Now, I naturally gravitated to female mentors because I was still lacking in a bit of confidence. And I suppose I felt that having a female mentor was somebody that I'd probably be able to approach um, and speak to. Um, But again, those two mentors, one was a couple of years, a couple of years younger than me. The other was, you know, a decade older than me. But they were both in very quite high profile positions. And so they gave me a completely different perspective. And it was really just great to be able to go to somebody and just talk to them about a lot of different things. Um, And then, you know, another thing for me was um, uh, I got a non-executive director role uh, three and a half, four years ago. And again, very, very lucky, fell into it, went to a conference, got chatting, talking about uh, my new role that I'd moved into. This was back in 2016. Again, I was really passionate about my job. I was really passionate about what I was able to do for Aspen as an organization. And they saw that in me. I'd moved into information security. So again, you know, the last couple of years, cybersecurity has been that buzzword. So did it help me? It possibly did. Um, But, you know, 
they asked me to become one of their non-executive directors. Um, and, uh, you know, it was a small enough position, which meant it wasn't taking up too much of my time. Um, but it just gave me that additional opportunity to get into the weeds of managing a small company, uh, providing my insight, somebody else leveraging my knowledge and my experience. Um, but, you know, that also threw me into, as part of my NED role, I was expected to become a speaker at um, HP, uh, one of the HP events that they have, um, HP Discover. Um, and again, you know, presenting wasn't my forte. I hadn't had the opportunity to do a huge amount of presentations to board level or exco level. So, you know, that gave me the opportunity to stand up uh, in front of uh, a lot of different people, talk about lots of different things. Um, but it's built up my confidence as well. I still would get scared if I have to do a presentation, but I think I've now got the insight and the tools um, to how I can get through that. Um, so, you know, those are some real key things that I think anyone um, should really have as their toolkit a coach, an external mentor, try and get some outside non-executive roles, throw yourself into conferences, put yourself forward to be a speaker, um, you know, and, and that's something that I, I really think will will help. But also when you talk about executive presence, um, you know, I've asked a, a quite a few people about how do you get that? What, what do you do? And, you know, they've all just sort of said, just feel it. You're in the position, you're in your role because you've deserved it. And therefore, you should feel it. Um, you shouldn't be scared of it. Somebody believes in you. Somebody knows that you are capable of doing that job. So not necessarily dress the part externally, but dress the part in your mind. Live it, breathe it, be proud of it. Um, and I think that will also help with your presence and, uh, you know, speaking and um, really sort of capturing an audience. So your response is absolutely in detail, a very good, it can serve as a playbook for many women. The question I have is, you were, I would not say pushed to the edge, but were given enough time feedback that personally, I believe that you took it as a challenge and you took charge. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but yes, do you think, definitely. yeah, so that's what gonna got you going because mentors were always all around, but you did not reach out and get them till the time you really felt it from within. So how about we try to tackle the problem at the very root, which means how do you get women to take charge of their career and their life and the integration between the two for them to start going out and doing things which took a lot of cajoling from others, how could they be proactive in doing so without having to go through that agony and the pain of somebody keep telling you, you don't have confidence? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a tough one because um, you know, I think everybody, to a certain degree, requires a certain element of cajoling, do we not? You know, if you think about yourself as a child and you're asked to participate in the school play, some people will put their hands up and they've just got it. You know, some people have just got it. They, they, it really just doesn't worry them, um, you know. But I think it, it's just taking that. And I don't think there's any hard and fast way as to how we can try um, as individuals to almost not put ourselves in a position where we need that prod. You know, if we were all the same, it'd be very, very boring. We're always going to have the people that like to put their hand up in the classroom and answer the questions, the people that are happy to put themselves on stage um, and talk about what they're passionate about. And, you know, there's always going to be those that need a little bit of a nudge, uh, you know, to jump off that cliff um, and do a bungee jump. Um, I, I don't think for me personally, there's anything that 
we can really focus on to try and not have to push people in a particular direction because people are unique, they're different. And, you know, for me, it's really about just if you see somebody, if you think somebody is struggling, then what can you do to to help them? Uh, You know, and I have throughout my whole management career, I'm somebody who's always wanted to invest in the people that, um, you know, I work with, um, just like people have given me the opportunity, but also because I haven't sometimes had the opportunities that I think I may necessarily have deserved, I've always wanted to make sure that I see people offer them that opportunity and I look after them and care for them. Now, some people will see that as a weakness, but I don't think so. I think you have to invest in people to get the best out of people. Uh, You know, you treat people how you want to be treated. So I haven't really, I think, got an answer to your question. Um, I don't think personally there is an answer there because we're all different. And I don't think there's a a clear set of, um, you know, what we can do. We can go into schools, we can, you know, instill from an early years, you know, about being confident. But I just think there are some people that are naturally um, going to always need that element of support. And it's about, you know, how can you draw upon your experience, your challenges to provide people that support? How can you identify when somebody needs some support um, and offer uh, and, you know, one of the things that um, uh, Mary, uh, who's the group CIO at Aspen, who's working with her leadership team on, is about, uh, you know, asking for help. Um, you know, it doesn't matter where you are in your executive leadership or your, or your journey. Um, you know, sometimes we forget to go to our peers uh, within our team and say, do you know what, actually... Um, I'm struggling with this. I need a bit of help. So again, it's noticing when somebody may need some help um, and it's offering help out to people. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And I wanted to touch, uh, Sue, about diversity. So we want to bring diversity in the organization. And yes, we want to support women. There was a very interesting comment made by people at one of the events that I was facilitating and such a discussion, they said, sometimes if we go overboard with giving support and giving that extra concession, if you will, that could create resentment because what they said is, we don't want anyone to feel that we are giving that special, we are leaning towards including more women and for that, we are removing the value that we put on merit based, you know, promotions or merit-based job or anything like that. So how do you handle and properly address gender diversity related uh, calling that we all have without creating resentment against those few who are getting that extra support and help and opportunity so that it doesn't turn out to be a stumbling block where other people start feeling, oh, these people got that special attention, so I don't think so they deserve it, but we somehow have to deal with it. I'm sure you understand what I'm talking about here. Let's take a quick quick break, listeners. We'll be right back, and let's, let's explore how do you properly introduce gender diversity while allowing women to blossom in technology. Thank you. Look forward. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Com. 
You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Diversity is an agenda, and it's an important agenda for an organization. And we also want to make sure as we go about running our programs related to it, we keep it uh, in, in a more calibrated or a balanced state. So no one thinks that we are putting extra special attention to introducing uh, women into the workforce and not uh, ignoring the merit-based, performance-based uh, growth for any professional, may it be male or female. How is your organization doing it and how do you recommend it to be done so it is done the best way possible? Yeah, so from a, a, an Aspen point of view, um, in terms of how we're ensuring, um, you know, a, a clear um, across the board diversity, um, you know, we've got a, a gender network that we're creating throughout the organisation, um, you know, identifying um, on the ground experience of, of women at Aspen. Um, but also, um, you know, a number of uh, sponsorship programs. Um, Aspen, um, Mary and myself, again, at Aspen have um, created a, a Women in Technology Forum, but it's not just for women to attend, it's for everybody to attend. Um, and the discussions aren't necessarily focused just on females in technology. Um, we've got a session that we're running um, on the 15th of December and the topic is, you know, fear in your career. And we actually have uh, our deputy CIO, who is a male, who's going to, you know, talk to the forum about his career and uh, overcoming the fear in his career. So I think it's about making sure that there is an, an appropriate balance. Uh, you know, diversity spans across a, a multitude of facets. Um, and it's making sure organizationally, you know, going back to where we've talked about our principles and values um, and really focusing on what the organization has got in terms of their project streams um, showing that through the organization from the executive level, uh, you know, we're very, very lucky that we've got um, our CEO who's deeply committed to diversity inclusion throughout the organization. And we've also got three of our um, ex-co sponsors who are working on our DNI project streams. So, um, you know, it, it's making everybody aware that there are so many different areas that diversity span. Um, and it's not just that um, gender area. Um, and, and, and focus, and as long as throughout the organisation, again, you have enough awareness, you have enough opportunity, um, you have enough um, insight um, for your employees, then hopefully, um, you know, you don't get into that struggle or battle where one particular diverse group feels that another is getting um, more of the attention or more of the opportunities. So one is to basically invest in our skills, right? Soft skills for the most part, or maybe technical skills. But then what else can a woman do in IT so that they could stay industry relevant and as uh, as they invest in themselves, it automatically helps them blossom, removes the glass ceiling, and they are well on their way to become a leader. So, um, you know, I think most people will know that as you move up the executive le le levels, um, the need for being that hands-on person becomes less and less. And that's just the same from a technical point of view, um, you know, um, for me, trying to stay current is not necessarily about the hands-on, but it's about understanding what's going on around you and outside you um, and all of the various different um, environments that influence where organizations are going, what the trends are, um, and it's making sure that you've got the insight into um, you know, what's coming down the line. And thinking about the future, 
you know, I'm picking up some things from my Gartner symposium, you know, where they were sort of saying that a, a good CIO really um, has a view of potentially what's already going to be coming round the corner. Um, and, and so, you know, for me, if you're moving through that executive level, I think one of the hardest things is saying not goodbye, but letting go of your more hands-on technical presence that you've known and loved and it's got you where you are today um, and really taking the next leap in being that strategist, understanding the business. You know, you mentioned it right at the start of our conversation, that um, business stakeholder engagement that acknowledgement of how you can um, assist the organization in developing and delivering on its own strategy. Uh, you know, from an IT point of view, we're here to ensure that the organization delivers and grows and generates revenue. Um, and as you move through that executive level, you have to basically change your um understanding, change your um, knowledge to not be technical, but to be very more visionary um, and to uh, be able to articulate something and, and sort of show to other leaders throughout the organization, you know, how you can move them in the right direction, but without all of the technical jargon that, you know, IT people love to throw into certain conversations um, so everybody can you know take the time out to get their qualifications and feel that having those qualifications will stand them in good stead and it will yes depending on the type of role that you're doing within a, a technology landscape but I think as you move further up the executive level what you've got to learn to do is that stakeholder management, that visionary, um, that confidant, um, that taking people, you know, really into the right solid future that the organization needs to move into. Once again, thank you so much, Sue, for sharing your insights about how women can indeed take charge of their career build their confidence, build their skills, and all other attributes which would allow them to blossom as a professional and as a leader. Thanks so much again. Thank you too. And listeners, hope you enjoyed it. I got a few nuggets out of this. Please connect with us on various social media and subscribe to our podcast where you can find podcasts. We are available on all possible platforms. And once again, thank you so much again for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.